The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Y'all not going to talk about camp. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. I had a ball. I put my camp shirt on and everything, man. It was great. We're going to be in our Bibles today, coming out of Luke 16, um, verse 19. We're going to take that down to 31. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles uh, out here in the Connection Kiosk. It's been a while since I I did one of these. Connection Kiosk. So we got Bibles out there. There will also be the words up on the screen. Uh, If you guys are ready, I'm going to go ahead and get into it. Because we got lunch after this. So try to to get us out of here. Now, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, and longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child. Remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father... That you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Amen for God's word. Real quick, I just want to pray before we get into this. Um, It's been a long week, and I left my notes while I was at camp. (laughs) So I had had to compound everything while I was at camp and then try to get it all back together. So let us pray. Father, I desire nothing more than to preach your gospel that is of the good news of a father and a son who loved each and every one of us so that we... So that, so much that there was a plan that was set into motion from the very beginning to save us from ourselves by the will and sacrifice of the Son, to redeem us, to sanctify us, and to set us apart unto himself and clothe us in his righteousness forever and ever. Amen. I want to start off with, let's, let's get some stuff out of the way. Um, in my studies, I, I realized that uh, there is some debate about whether this is a parable or not. Um, you're going to find, I don't really waver no way or the other, right? I, don't, I really don't. Um, to me, it's not that important because it's not going to take away from the lesson, but it's worth saying, so if you're ever out there and somebody brings this up, you will know about it. Um, there is conversations about this not being a parable and this actually being a real true story that Jesus is telling about something that actually happened. The reason why they're saying this is because typical parables start off with 
things like this is the parable that Jesus told or something like that. And Jesus began to tell parables. This one starts off where he just goes straight into it. Now there is a rich man, yada, yada, yada. Okay. He also drops names in this one. No other parable has any names mentioned. So Jesus is dropping Lazarus' name. He's bringing up Father Abraham. No other parables has that. So this is another reason why people think he's talking about real life facts and not a parable. Um, however, if you go back just a little bit on that one where you talk about how I just come straight in with the now there was a rich man, well, Jesus starts off another parable the same way. So you got that. You can toss them up however you want. I, I really don't feel like it takes nothing away from what we're going to learn. Okay? So you have that. The other thing is... Um, There was another thing that I, I thought was worth addressing before we start digging into all this, but don't worry about it. It's not meant to be. We're going to dig. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's, just, let's start with context. Context. Um, who is Jesus talking to? What's, what's going on in this time frame? Uh, if you go to Luke 14, you're going you're gonna to see the audience um, and how this all gets started, why, why we're this far into this parable. So Luke 14, we'll start off. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders, or some, context, some uh, uh, versions say one of the rulers of the Pharisees, on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man who was suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, it is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent, and he took hold of him and, be, and healed him and sent him away. And he said, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately put him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not make any reply to this. Where is Jesus? He is at one of the rulers of the Pharisees' house, okay? There is also in 14, you're going to find out that there's a large crowd that is following Jesus everywhere he goes. So he doesn't just show up with just his 12 disciples at this Pharisee's house. He also shows up with a big mob of people who are following him because of the many things they see Jesus do. So it's packed where Jesus is in his house. Okay? The first thing Jesus is going to do when he comes to this guy's house is he's going to watch. Well, we know the first thing he did was what we just read. He healed a guy. Second thing is he's going to watch how the, the Pharisees' friends begin to take their spots at tables, spots of honor, okay, at these tables. And Jesus is going to start correcting stuff. Like, he already showed up correcting one thing, okay? He's going to start correcting them again. Now, I don't know how many of y'all like to invite people to your house that's going to come in correcting stuff. <laughs> how... <laughs> If you invite Jesus, though, that's how he's coming, okay? <laughs> right through the door, okay? He is not making good friends with these Pharisees. He is correcting everything, so he's, he's, he's jumping on them, man. He's like, listen, when you go at somebody's house, don't pick the high seat. Get in the back seat. Let somebody come get you and bring you up to the front. Man, yo, he's, he's on them, man. Then he's talking to the guests. Hey, well, he's talking to the, uh, the, the one who invited people. Say so when you invite somebody, man, don't, don't, don't invite your friends. Invite the, invite the poor. Invite the ones who can't give back. You know what I mean? Jesus is all over them. They, they are getting very frustrated with him by the, by, before we even get to where we're at. So 14 goes through. Uh, you see the crowd show up. Jesus starts correcting the crowds. He's, uh, he's going to give them a little uh, something to chew on about following him, right? This is... Is labeled as, as Jesus tells them to count the costs. So now Jesus is like, oh, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand something. Um, you need to understand what it's going to cost to follow me, right? He's talking to the whole multitude of crowds. When he gets through talking to them, he's going to start talking to uh, uh, the, the publicans and the, and the sinners and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the tax collectors, right? Jesus ain't leaving nobody short. The beautiful part about it, though, is after he tells the 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 multitude of crowd about following him, who presses in is the publicans, the sinners, and the tax collectors. After they hear about counting the costs, they come closer. That's beautiful. You know what I mean? Um, you, I, I'm, I'm telling you from previous history, <laughs> in a line 
of, of, of work, you count the cost of what you do. You know, there was, I, when I, I know when I was taught some things in my life, there was, it, it was real specific about what you was doing. And you made sure you knew what you was doing before you got into it. You counted the cost. And so I think it's very, it's special to me to see that these are the ones who press in. Like, I heard you. I'm still here. <laughs> like, we, we here for it. So they press in. Then he begins to talk to his disciples. Okay, now, now when, when the publicans and the sinners and the tax collectors press in, the Pharisees get in a roar. He's, he's eating with sinners. It's at their house, right? But now he's eating with sinners, and they're getting, they getting all in their feelings. So now Jesus is going to direct the attention to his disciples, and then he's going he's gonna to start dropping some stuff for the Pharisees to, to, to take caution of it. Okay, when he drops these, this is where you get the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which we all know is the parable of the prodigal son, right? Instantly, he's going to drop these as the, as the publicans and the tax collectors push in. Then Jesus is going to remind the, the, the he's going to throw this out for the Pharisees to get it. These are the lost. These are the ones you've forgotten. Okay? Now, he starts talking to his disciples. This is where we, where we are in our text. He's talking to his disciples because now he's going to give us some caution. Everything that, I, that we're going to get out of here is going to be cautionary teaching. Okay? This is something I want you to, to get. I want you to understand. This is what Jesus is on. Like, I want you all to understand this. So that's what he's about to do. This is cautionary teaching. Let's get into it. Now, there was the rich man, right? Habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. He's rich. He's making a habit out of putting on the finest articles of clothing. Okay? Who's balling like that out here? Are you doing it? We used to have a saying back in my time, balling out of control. That's how this guy's living. Okay? Jim Jones made a song, said, balling. You remember that? That's, what, that's how he's living, okay? And he's joyously living. <clears throat> the, the, they put that word in there, but it shouldn't be mistaken for joy as we would see it like the joy of the Lord. The, let's not mistake that. I, I looked up the Greek because it, it jumped out to me, and I was like, I want to make sure this ain't the same. I knew it wasn't, but I want to be sure. I'm not going to try to say that word. Andrew is around here somewhere when we leave. Y'all can get with Andrew. He can tell you the Greek pronunciation of it, okay? But it's, it's more related, it's closely related to happy. The, the way the spelling is in the Greek and the way the spelling of happy is in the Greek are, are very closely related. Uh, they, they begin the same and they end the same. Um, and then you had to go to Andrew for the rest of that, okay? <laughs> However, the word joy like joy in the Lord, has, is, is no relation, okay? So that's a, that's a different word, um, and it's, it's not spelled nowhere near the same. So this would be more like he was happily living in splendor. This is important because he has stuff. He has a lot of things, and these things make him happy. Once I learned from a minister before about going for a happy life and a happy living, um, in order for things to make you happy, they have to be based off of what is happening, okay? Joy doesn't rely on that. You understand? Happiness comes from things that are happening. Joy doesn't rely on the same basics, right? Because if I'm happy and I got all this stuff, what happens when the stuff is gone? Do I remain happy or do I fall into a funk? You understand? So joy, on the other hand, is rooted, okay? Things can happen in my life. Great sorrows can happen in my life, and I can still be rooted in joy. I, I went to a funeral once, and I'm, and I'm showing you the, the examples of that, right? Lost someone, but we were still joyous about where that person was moving on to. You get what I'm saying? It wasn't, we wasn't down and out over the loss. It was sad but we were still filled with joy with the possibilities of where they were moving on to in the next stage of the life. That's joy. It's rooted in something. This is not what this guy has. He is happily living his life in splendor every day. 
that every day is big, that's going to be an issue when it comes to the law and the commandments that they live by. I say they because we're going to get into why this is important for the people that he's talking to, the audience. Jesus is talking to a certain audience a certain way. It's going to be important that everybody understands what he's doing here. Did anybody catch the connection between 14 and how this one started off? You get, did anybody catch that? You can shout it out. Go ahead. I just came from Kids Cap. I mean, we, was, we, was, we was doing a lot of back and forth. You heard it? You good? I'll say it. <laughs> it's okay. There was a connection, right? Jesus shows up at the Pharisee's house, a ruler, big ruler, right? These guys had a lot of money and things like that. He's throwing a big feast, right? Who's laying outside his door? Somebody in need. And everybody's walking past that person. Jesus is about to end this parable with what? A rich man and somebody laying outside his gate in need. You see what I'm saying? He's speaking to a specific audience. It's not, it's, everything is intentional. So Jesus, he goes there. Uh, we go, we, let's go to 21, real, I mean 20 real quick. Let's talk about the poor man named Lazarus who was laid at his gate covered with sores, okay? Poor man laid at his gate. We already seen there was a connection between where Jesus started off, right? Lazarus, his name in and of itself is Eliezer, which is my God helps or my God is a help. That is Lazarus' name. Um, very good that he has a name in this story um, for me because Jesus is the one who teaches his disciples when they go celebrating about things, what does he tell them when they're celebrating? He said, man, don't celebrate because of the things that you have authority over. Celebrate why? Because your names have been recorded in the book of life. And Jesus, to tell this story, rather it be factual or parable, he dropped the name on someone who's going to, be in, who's going to end up in the bosom of Abraham. I think that's awesome that he dropped the name. That's good. Okay. Lazarus lays at the man's gate covered with sores. If he was laid there, the way they describe it as he was laid there, that means that he couldn't get there himself. Some people had took him there, placed him there in hopes that the rich man would have mercy on him. Okay? You understand? The rich man does not have mercy on him. He just acts like he doesn't there. But here's the key that you got to know that he knew he was there is because when the rich man and Lazarus end up in the Hades place, this is the holding place, right? When they end up in this holding place, but they're divided, they can't, they can't cross. What does the rich man do? Whose name does he say? Yeah, Father Abraham, right? And then he says, send Lazarus over here. He knew this guy. It wasn't a guy he didn't know. He knew him. So the people who laid him at his gate knew that he knew him. They also wouldn't have laid a, a, a Gentile at his gate. We gonna get, the fact that he said Father Abraham, I'm, I'm moving a little fast, but the fact that he said Father Abraham lets you know what, what culture he was from. You understand? So we, remember, we're talking about our audience. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his people, the ones that were chosen, right? To the Jewish people, right? He's talking to his folks. This rich man knew Father Abraham. Was he living by the law, though? No. No, he wasn't. Lazarus was laid at his gate. He knew who Lazarus was. If nothing else, he knew he was a brother to what they believed, right? He was a child of Israel. He was a Jewish. He was something of, 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 the, of what they were, right? And he ignored him. That's a big problem. Very big problem. Let's talk about why that's a big problem. In Deuteronomy, oh yeah, we better go to some, some old law. <laughs> in Deuteronomy, this was the law that was given to them. And if the Pharisees and the Sadducees are in this room, they know the law. They know it. They can quote it. They can spit it out better than probably a lot of us in America <laughs> today. Okay? They know this stuff. Jesus knows they know it. But are they living it? That's the problem. And that's why he's at they, they neck about it. All right. This is what this is this is what he writes 
what God gives us in Deuteronomy for them. Okay, he says, if there is a poor man with you, Deuteronomy 15, 7, if there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be counted a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you saying you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Anybody heard Jesus say command? I mean, the Bible said command. This is God I'm talking about, not Jesus. The Bible says command. I command you. This would have passed on. Everybody would have had this. If a man is laying at his gate, the rich man had an obligation. He was commanded. He was already living. When that, we get to that part about every day, what I told you, okay? If he's living like this every day, how is he thinking about the Sabbath? There's another commandment that he is disregarding it's every day. That means he's not taking a break, a day of rest from what he's doing. This brother was at fault on a lot of occasions, so it's not a thing about do rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. This is not that. This is not the case. That's not true. If anybody's teaching that, throw it away, put it back in the trash can it belongs in, okay? This is about someone who is not being accountable for his brethren. Total neglect for the word of God, total neglect for the man of God, total neglect here. Jesus is using this, but he's also talking to the Pharisees who are what? In total neglect for the people who they're supposed to be accountable for. These people who they have labeled and outcasted as publicans and sinners, tax collectors, they've done that. Jesus says they're lost. Jesus doesn't come at them with that same kind of language. They're lost in need of a shepherd. He's angry at the Pharisees and the Sadducees because these are the rulers of the time. These people are lost in need of a shepherd, and you are supposed to be shepherds. And instead, you're pushing them out. You're leaving them laying at gates. You're not taking care of them. You're ignoring them. You're stepping over them. Go back to 21. We're covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were, continue, were coming and licking his sores. Lazarus. He's laid at the rich man's gate, covered with sores. His desire is to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table. This sounds very similar to the Greek woman who came to Jesus looking for healing for her daughter and was desiring. You see, what did she tell you? Jesus said, you, you, the, 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 this is, this, the bread is meant for the children, all right? The bread is meant for the children. And the woman humbled herself and said, listen, master, you know, even the, even the dogs, <laughs> okay, because Jesus called her a dog. That's a whole other thing for a lot of folk, right? But it's just basically outsider. And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. But this, this crumbs here is not a cute, you know, I got spot at the house 
and the crumbs are coming off the table and he's licking it off the floor. It's not that, it's not that cute. I wish it was, but it ain't. These crumbs that they're talking about, rather it's the Greek woman's story or rather it's in this story, these crumbs are pieces of bread that were used as napkins. These were dirty and disgusting pieces of bread that were thrown to dogs. The dogs would eat them. They got iron cast stomachs. They can deal with that. Humans, this puts you in a worse position if you eat the germs of another man's hand and put it in your body. You know what I'm saying? That's disgusting, man. There was a study that was done about bread, um, you know, store bread. We got this, this. They wouldn't have had this. You know, we got sliced bread now. They wouldn't have had this back then. But they took, this, 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 these people did it in an elementary class. They took sliced bread, right? This, this bread that has got preservatives in it, okay, to keep it lasting. And they took it. And the study showed this. When, they, when the kids touched their hand to the bread, if they touched it with washed hands, the bread did fine for about five days before it began to mold. That was washed hands. Unwashed hands, the bread began to mold and it was destroyed within three days. If they took it and they took that piece of bread and they just wiped it over the little laptops that the kids use, they just slid it over and threw it in a bag. And one day that thing was destroyed with mold. I mean, from top to bottom, ate away. This is ancient Roman Greek time, okay? Worse than a Chromebook laptop, I guarantee you, all right? These cats is eating like savages. They have utensils, but it's made like the spoon for the, for the soup, thick soup and stuff like that. Man, they, when they come down to meat, other than cutting it with a knife, they grab it. They eat like I eat, if you ever watch me eat, okay? They grab it. I don't know how to be cute when I eat, sorry. It's going down. You know what I'm saying? Fast. <laughs> so that's how they're eating. And everything just, just dripping off their hands. They're grabbing these pieces of bread, slapping it, and, th- and throwing it out for the dogs to eat. This is the meat. This is the bread that he's longing for. Okay? We're getting ready to go back here and eat. Right? If any of y'all want to wipe y'all napkins up and save them for the homeless, all right, let's see how that goes. Does that sound desirable? Nah. But this is what he's longing for. For bread napkins to put into his belly. Dogs are coming and they're licking on him. They're not bringing him bread. They're just coming and licking his sores. Another interesting study is whether y'all want to believe it, and I hope y'all don't go home trying it. Dog saliva will heal your wounds. Please, if you do it, don't tell me about it. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> they, there's a study. I don't know how they conducted the study. <laughs> I don't know. There's a study that has been proven that dog saliva on open wounds, because you know they they lick their own wounds. Dog saliva heals wounds two times faster than unlicked wounds. Yeah, I don't don't know who signed up for that. But it's out there, according to Google. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) there you go, I'm with you. Okay, so this would not have been comfortable and this, this is really the basis of the message that I'm, that I'm going to get out of, that I'm going to try to give you guys today. This would not have been comfortable for Lazarus. Okay, he's, he, he's desiring to eat bread napkins. Dogs are despised of for, for the Jewish community, okay? Dogs are coming and licking his wounds. These are unclean animals coming to clean him. This is not a cute story for Lazarus. He's not warmed up with these dogs like, oh, pooch, thank you. No, he, he can't move. He can't get away from them. He's, he's, he's completely, you know, if he could kick them, he would, but he can't. 
It's done. So he's completely degraded. Scene change. He dies. He's carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also dies and was buried. That big old buildup. So you can understand the switch is going to happen. Right? Here goes Lazarus, who... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's pretty cool that God... <laughs> we talk about the same God that sent, that sent animals to Adam so he could slap name badges on them, right? Okay? The same God who sent animals two by two to Noah, right, to mount the ark. This is the same God who sent, what, frogs and uh, locusts and flies through Egypt. Same God who sends the birds for the Egyptians and I mean for the Israelites in, in, in Egypt when they're out in the wilderness, right? The birds to fall down so they can eat meat when they got grumbly, okay? They didn't want no more bread, okay? The same God that sent the big fish to swallow up Jonah when he tried to commit suicide, okay? He was on a suicide mission and God said, nope, swallow, <laughs> okay? And then now I'm going to send you back out when you're ready to do my mission. Bang. Hits the ground running. Okay? This the same God shuts the mouths of lions yes, sir. when Daniel is in the den. This same God. I think it's awesome that he can send dogs <laughs> to lick the wounds of a man in need. I, don't, I think that's awesome. And then when that man dies, he sends angels to carry him away. You heard nothing about the rich man being carried away by angels. You heard about him being buried. We build up all this stuff in our lives, right? I got to have this. I need to have that. All this stuff for our comfort and leisure. And in the end, there's no U-Haul truck. Nothing. That was it. That guy buried. Lazarus carried away by angels. We used to have a saying when I was coming up. They used to say, I'd rather be judged by 12 than be carried by six. Tupac had another saying that came out and he was like, only God can judge me. I used to live off that stuff. Man, I'll tell you today, though, no. No. I'd rather be carried by the angels than to be carried by man. I'd rather be judged by man than to be judged by God. That's my reality. I pray that becomes a reality for every blood-washed believer. In Hades, he lifted his eyes. I'm on 23. Being in torment, he saw Abraham far away in Lazarus in his bosom. He cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. <sighs> we already discovered the fact that we... We already talked about the fact that we know they got to be of... Jewish uh, culture. The fact that he knows Father Abraham for one. Um, but man, it's, it's something unique about mindsets of people. Even in his death, his mindset doesn't really change much. You understand? It stays the same. Even in his death, um, he still sees Lazarus as beneath him for one. You know, Father Abraham sent Lazarus, you know, like a servant. Send him to do. Not Father Abraham, can you give me some water? No. Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here. Dip his finger in water. He also don't make no sense, okay? If I'm dying in a desert and you bring me a drip of water off your finger 
I might just kick you before I die, okay? I don't want it. A drip of water off your finger? That does nothing. I'm, Jose, you guys are nurses. Does it do anything? Not a thing, okay? That's professional intellect right there. It does nothing. Huh? <laughs> Where's his mind at, right? A drip of water. And if, if that would have happened, which it doesn't, I thank God for that, right? It doesn't happen, but if that would have happened, what do you think the next thing would have been? Can he do it again? Can he do it again? Can he do it again? The cycle would have just, do it, let him do it again. It would have just stayed there in this constant rotation. But Abraham says, child, it's the other way you know how Abraham addresses him, child, children of Israel. Jesus, what he told the, the Greek woman, the children must get the bread, right? Child, remember that during your life, you receive your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, the bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. When he's talking to him, he's talking about comfort. You had a comfortable lifestyle, remember? How quick we forget. You had a real good comfortable lifestyle. Lazarus was definitely uncomfortable. But now Lazarus is comforted. And you, you're definitely uncomfortable. Nothing about Hades, this, this, this hot place sounds comfortable to me. Nothing. When Jesus talks about weeping and gnashing the teeth, none of that sounds comfortable in that fiery place. Nothing that sounds comfortable. The thing is, a lot of folk will walk away from scriptures like this and they will want to go away with what I call fire insurance. I just want to be saved from hell. I don't want that. But that's not, that's not what I get when I see this. It's not a message about being saved from hell. It's a message about knowing who your comforter is and where you're going to find it. That's what the message is. One of my favorite characters, people, real life people in the Bible is a, a lady named Mary. Any of y'all, ooh, just got it. Any of y'all familiar with Mary? I'm talking about Mary, uh, Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister. Mary is, is one of the coolest people I see in the Bible. Mary, on three occasions, when they talk about her, she's found in one place. Do we have any bold people in here who want to say where she's found? At his feet. How cool is that? That sister gets it, man. When he's teaching in their house, she moves to the front of the room, past everybody, and sits at his feet. Martha's tripping off about it. Okay? She, Martha is like, Master, it, Martha would be like the opposite of Peter. Like, right? I mean, not the opposite, but the, the what, what's that word with this? The female version of Peter. Yeah. Martha and this often have a foot in her mouth, right? That's, Mar <laughs> That's Martha. She's like, Master, tell my sister to, uh, Get in here and help me with these dishes. And Jesus is like, Martha, what? You got so many cares and concerns. Okay? Mary not missing this good thing. There's a good thing right here. She's not missing it. Okay? This is the word of God wrapped in flesh sitting here. She's not missing it. You shouldn't either, Martha. Come get some. Amen. Them dishes can wait. You see Martha, and you see Mary again when Lazarus dies. The room they talk about is full of people who come to comfort them because their brother's dead. But Mary is not comforted. She's there, but she finds no comfort in the room full of people who have come to comfort her. Martha rushes out, finds Jesus. I don't really think Martha found no comfort neither. You know, she just wanted to get out and give Jesus a little piece of her mind because he should have been there. You know what I mean? 
she does that. Both of them fast as I don't know what because Jesus never steps into the town. They hear about him outside the town and both him, her, Martha, and Mary make it to Jesus before he ever steps foot in the town. This is fast. Okay? I don't know if Jesus was just strolling slowly or what, but I, it jumped out to me off the pages. I'm like, this dude still ain't stepped foot in the town. And they keep catching him. Martha goes and talks to him, and then she goes back, tells Mary. Mary runs instantly at his feet, drops straight to his feet. They say the same thing, but it's not taken in the same way. They had the same line. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I don't get the same feel when I hear Martha say it than when I hear Mary say it. You know what I'm saying? Martha said it in a kind of a different tone. More like, what took you so long? We called out for you about four days ago. Why? Had you been here, it wouldn't have happened. Mary was more, you are life itself. Had you been here, <laughs> it was impossible to happen. You get what I'm saying? Just, just period. But I'm glad you're here now because you are where I find my comfort. That is where Mary ran to find her comfort. The last time you see him talk about Mary when he's falling at his feet is... Lazarus is back, risen from the dead, and they are, I don't even think they had, they, they're not at their house, they had a, a Pharisee's house, and Mary comes in and begins to anoint his feet with some very expensive oil, and Judas is upset about it, seems like everybody always upset about Mary falling at Jesus' feet, he gets upset about it, and Starts talking about all the money they could have made if they kept that ointment. But Mary gets it, man. She's prepping him for his burial that he's been telling them about over and over again. But Mary seems to be the only one that gets the connection. This dude has been talking about he's going to die over and over again. And the time is coming soon. So I'm going to prep him while I got the chance. And I don't care how much this oil costs. It's what I got. It's what I'm going to use. Mary's awesome, man. She gets it. She understands that there's no greater comforter than Jesus himself. You're not going to find it nowhere else. There's no amount of money that's going to comfort you more than Jesus. There's no job title you can get, no job status you can get that's going to bring you more comfort than Jesus. There's no ring bell <laughs> on your house. Oh, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting in y'all security zone. <laughs> that's going to bring you more comfort than Jesus. No ADT. Not going to do it. SK rifle, huh? 30 round magazine clip. Huh? Ain't going to do it. <laughs> ain't going to bring you more comfort than Jesus not going to bring you more security not going to bring you more provision not going to bring you more protection it ain't going to outdo Jesus nothing in this world will ever outdo Jesus ever Lazarus name is my God helps my God is my help in the book of John John writes three times about this and on every occasion the word help and comforter can be switched out. King James Version, you'll see comforter, and every other version, you can kind of see helper. But in, when John writes, 1426, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you in all things. 1526, but when the helper comes, whom I call, he will send, uh, who I call, send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. 167, for, uh, he will testify me, I'm sorry. 167, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, the helper, I will send him to you. Lazarus' name. God is my help. 
Besides all this between us is a certain chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. This is the end. We're going to wrap it up. I beg you that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Rich man is, again, thinking about what? Fire insurance. I'm trying to keep my earthly, physical brothers from coming here. He's still not thinking about his brothers outside of his four no more. Lazarus was your brother, my guy. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> still ain't making the connections here. Okay? He's not getting it. But Abraham said to him, they have Moses in the prophets. Let them hear them. Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, these are the scribes. and the, They have this. Don't forget the audience. They got this. Let them hear them. No, Father Abraham. No. <laughs> yeah? Big, big, big guy here, huh? I think, I think he's thinking he's bigger than Abraham now. It would look like to me. Yeah. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. I was reading some uh, Spurgeon. I don't really read Spurgeon a lot, but I was reading some and preparing for this. Spurgeon, has, he, he addressed this situation in a way that I like. He said, uh, I don't, he said, there's a lot of people who think like this. If a big sign of a big miracle happens, that will be my turning point, okay? Um, surely, if somebody is risen from the dead, that will be the moment that I'll, I'll receive. I'll receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm sure. Surely. So Spurgeon points out, he says, he says you know, Elisha raised somebody from the dead. There was no turning point there. Jesus hit the scene and Peter's mother-in-law raised from the dead. She just got up and got back to serving. But nobody went to her and was like, what was it like? Tell me all about it. I'm going to make some decisions in my life. Nah. Jesus raised one of the Pharisees, the Pharisee's child from the dead. Went in the room, told everybody, get out, get out of here. Raise him up. Nobody, no lives was changed and impacted off of that. Nobody followed her, the child. Huh? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know what the immediate response was when Lazarus was raised from the dead from the Pharisees and the Sadducees? We got to kill that guy. Mm -mm -mm. And we got to kill Jesus too because can't be raising him again. Immediately. No lives was changed because ordinary people were raised from the dead. However, we stand here today because one rose from the dead. He wasn't ordinary. That one who rose from the dead. Over 2,000 years later, that one, he continued to raise others. We share in his resurrection. We share in his suffering. He has multiplied what he's done. And he has withstood the standard time. He has withstood. <laughs> Did I say that right the first time? He has withstood the standard time. I don't know if I said that right. I can't get it. My, my, my words is boggled. 
Either way, what I'm saying, Jesus is the one who did rise from the dead. He is the one. He's the only one. Nobody else, man. Somebody can, you know, Peter, what was it, Paul. Paul was preaching. The boy fell. Blop, hit the ground. Paul went back down. Got the guy up. Got the boy up, right? Paul went back to preaching. It didn't say anything about nobody going to talk to that boy. Nobody else is going to get it done. If somebody did it in this day and age, I'm telling you, man, all it would be was a big media explosion. Everybody would want to ask them a thousand questions. They would want to go around and travel them all over the world, but it would soon lose its buzz. It wouldn't sustain the next 2,000 years like the one we know who did. Because no one else can resurrect no one else. No one else has the power to do it. No one else says, I'm going to leave and then send you a spirit that's going to reside in you. No one else can do that. We have the one who can do it. We know the one who can do it. We stand here today talking about the one who can do it. We got to be careful. We can all relate to the beggar, but we got to be careful that we don't miss that we can easily become like the rich man, trusting ourselves in the comforts of this world instead of the comforter who is greater than this world. He's placed the comforter in each and every one of you if you're a blood-washed believer in Christ. And greater is the he that is in you than the he that is of this world. That's a real responsibility and that's a real accountability. You don't have to worry about trying to prove nothing to him. In camp, we, got, we had a guy come go up and he said one simple, simple thing, and I'm going to leave you with this. He was teaching the kids and he was talking about the love and obedience. And he said, we don't do it for love. We do it from love. How we live our lives is according to how one has lived his life for us has laid it down for us, and has left us to go and do the same for others. All right? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you for for helping us, for being a comforter to us, Father. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to live a life worried about whether we will be in heaven or hell. Father, that we can know that we are by you, Wrapped and robed in your righteousness. And because of that, Father, you have made us citizens and heirs to your throne by way of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do with each and every one of us and how you're going to grow and multiply each and every one of us, Father. That we can go from here. We can take hold to the commission that you called of us to go forth, preach and teach, baptize and make disciples in your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.